Well, this thing missed my joke about praise the Lord and pass the mashed potatoes. But I'm not gifted with being very funny, but I do love Thanksgiving and I do love the Lord and I think the two never should part, you see. The same with Christmas. I... Uh, Looking forward to this year, although it's a little different than most years that we've ever had, or probably all the years we've ever had in, in this way, you know. But I hope that all of you and your families are still going to find ways to make it wonderful. I know that we are. Uh, I want to read something that I got from one of the ministries that I support and pay attention to. It's called Wall Builders. One word, Wall Builders. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, hopefully you will be. Because it's very important ministry, I believe, in this nation uh, now and in the years to come. But this was a couple days ago. On the, what is today's date? Oh, it was yesterday then. <laughs> On the 21st. And here's just a little thing they sent me with a picture of the pilgrims. A drawing, obviously. <clears throat> 400th anniversary. Today, November 21st, that was yesterday, marks the 400th anniversary of the signing of the Mayflower Compact. To understand the significance of this date, you need to know the history of the pilgrims who wrote and signed the Mayflower Compact. The pilgrims were mainly English dissenters who attended churches that did not belong to the Church of England. One objection they held was to any monarch being head of the church, as they should have. This viewpoint was contradictory to an English law stating that if any of Her Majesty's, Queen Elizabeth I's subjects, deny the Queen's ecclesiastical supremacy, they shall be committed to prison without bail. Years of enduring government persecution led the pilgrims to shake off this yoke of anti-Christian bondage and move to Holland, where they found religious toleration. After 12 years in Holland, they decided to move to America where they could freely worship God, raise godly children, and share the Christian gospel with others. They arranged for two ships to carry them to America, the Speedwell and the Mayflower, but the Speedwell developed leaks in two separate department attempts and was sidelined. The Mayflower alone set out, set sail for America in September 1620, with 102 pilgrims and strangers. 1 Peter 2.11, from which the pilgrims took their name. It took 66 days for the pilgrims on the Mayflower to reach America. Their trip across the Atlantic was treacherous with constant storms. In fact, at one point, the main beam of the ship broke. Not having the tools necessary to make the repairs, the ship's crew used the large jack screw of the Pilgrim's printing press to raise the beam into place where it could be secured, thus saving the ship and the lives of those on board. 
the Pilgrims were sailing for the northern parts of the Virginia colony, but fierce winds blew them hundreds of miles north. They finally put ashore at Cape Cod, but in an area not under the authority of the Virginia colony. They had no official governance. So, before leaving the Mayflower, the Pilgrims drew up their own governmental compact, which declared, Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents, that is, by this legal document and charter, solemnly and mutually, in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic. This document, signed on June, November 21st, 1620, November 11th by the old calendar, became known as the Mayflower Compact. It became the first purely American document of self-government that, to borrow words later employed by Abraham Lincoln, was of the people, by the people, and for the people. America's other governing documents had not had been written in England by English officials in order to govern the Americans. Additionally, the Pilgrim's document placed American self-government firmly on a Christian foundation. The Mayflower Compact is definitely worth being honored today. Yeah. I thought that was worthy of mentioning. I have hundreds and hundreds of pages of historical information and stuff and I could really bore you for a week if you wanted but so I'll spare you by giving you these little tidbits and nuggets you see but always was about God God this was God's plan this whole nation was God's plan it was founded on godly truths and godly hope and even the first public schools were created to teach children the Bible to make because it was necessary and that was the purpose. And it's funny because now, you know, they excluded it in the early 60s along with prayer. And ever since then, the, uh, not only the ungodliness and crime and all the other things that are so prevalent in the school system these days has just escalated hundreds and hundreds of percentage points since those early 60s when that happened. So that's the spiritual realm. Wherever God is not included, it leaves a void, a vacuum, which will be filled by the enemy. It's just the way that it is. And we as Christians need to be working and fighting as long as we're here. We were born for such a time as this. And our prayers are powerful. We've been talking about uh, abiding in Jesus. Uh, or I'm going to be talking today about abiding in Jesus through Thanksgiving. And... Um, We've been talking about the, the purpose last week of the Christian is to is really just intimacy with God, to come to know God and as we're known by God and and Jesus described eternal life 
as knowing God and knowing His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the pure definition of eternal life. And that begins at the moment of our salvation. If we begin to grow in that relationship and are strengthened in it. And so, but I also explain not to be discouraged because there's a process. As we look into the perfect mirror of the Word of God, this, this is Jesus without eyeballs, I say. We are being transformed into His image. Now, that's not a physical image, obviously, because God, because John 4.24 says that God is a spirit. Isn't that what He told the woman at the well? God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if God is a spirit, and He has a soul, because it says so in the Bible, He has a will and emotions, just like we do, uh, a personality, so to speak. And then there's a body. So the body is the least of these things. We will get a new one when we get home and it'll be incorruptible. But you have to see things on a spiritual basis if you want to communicate, if you want to get to know and to uh, be close to God. Amen. And I told you that there is a change taking place within us. Uh, the Bible calls it... Uh, it's, uh, the word uh, the metamorpho, which we get metamorphosis from, and I explained that it was like uh, a caterpillar uh, going into the cocoon and becoming a uh, beautiful butterfly. And that's a pretty good analogy of what's happening with the Christians as we become more and more like Jesus, glory to glory. As we become aware of one truth, God activates this and becomes... Instead of just logos or words written on a page, it becomes rhema, a, a now word, a, a live word. That's why this word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, because it'll speak to you. You'll read the same passage of scriptures you've read for 20 years, and one day you'll be like, ah, and it fits your perfectly, your situation today, for right now, there's a new promise, a new provision, a new instruction from God right there. And it just was highlighted for you that day for some reason. Well, we know the reason. God talking to you. Amen. Woo. He loves talking to his children. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. And they follow me. They listen. You see? So... We, it, it, when we don't hear God, we need to take some responsibility there and get rid of all the clutter and the noise of the world. Because He really wants to have that conversation with you. Amen? Amen. I know, uh, you know, sometimes people will come and, uh, and I will just pray with them or pray for them. And, and that's that. Other times... I have to really dig a little deeper to find out what their spiritual location is because if I'm just praying for someone for healing and they don't believe that God has provided healing through the atonement, they've been taught somewhere else that it's just something God put on them to teach them a lesson. Well, see, I'm really fighting, you know, it's like beating my head against a tree, you know. So I have to minister first. Other times I'll tell people if they're really seeking a, an important decision, whether it's a kid about a school or a, an adult about, you know, whatever. Uh, a lot of times I'll just listen and I won't hear. And I'll say, well, what you need is a word from God. And what that means is you need to go get along with God. You need to 
get in and carry your Bible with you, just like you should to your prayer war room any, every time you go, and uh, and just just be listening. You know, ask him, tell him you need a word, you need a direction, you need guidance, and then get in the word, get in your prayer closet, and then listen. Don't stop listening. Because when we release our faith, remember that's the hand that reaches out and takes hold of everything God has provided by grace. We are not to allow that faith to rest until it accomplishes what it was sent out to do. you understand that? I don't want to have to go there in the Bible today, but we could preach a whole week's message on that. But Jesus talked about it. <laughs> but let's I was in John 15 yesterday because there's a process and so we don't want to get discouraged and think that well you know when I got saved I was supposed to all this great stuff was supposed to happen and I don't feel anything well first of all get your butt out of the way and your feelings out of the way and go by the truth of the word of God you have to believe that it's more real than the things you do see and feel, and then you'll start seeing a lot better results in your lot in your life. Amen? Amen. John fifteen, I love these last six or seven chapters of John. I, I love the whole word is so beautiful and wonderful, but something very special about John. You know why? One of the things, John had an awareness of God's love for him. He refers to himself five times in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's always him calling himself that. <laughs> but that's an awesome thing. You should say that about yourself. And the more you become aware of it and believe it and know it, the stronger you are. You see, that awareness allowed John, when all the others were scattered and running and hiding, John was confident and he was the only one of spiritual employment that day at the foot of the cross, wasn't he? Of all the disciples. That awareness of God's love for him strengthened him and made him not only able but available and useful to God. John chapter 15 I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my Father is the vine dresser. So Jesus is this, in this sense, there, everything was about grapes and wine in the old, uh, old days, okay? And so he's talking about a vine, what we think of like a tree and branches. He's talking about the vine and the branches because on grapes... It has a vine that grows the grapes, and there are little branches that come off of the, 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 the grapevine, and that produces the fruit on the branch. Well, we are the branches. He is the vine. He's saying he's the source. And God is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. God takes care of us. And it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. People have 
Ooh. There are doctrines and teachings about these scriptures that are wrong, I think, and uh, pretty sure. And <laughs> the, but Jesus is talking about bearing fruit, right? And in the in the scriptures, when they talk about fruit. Um, we could be talking about character. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is all about character. Uh, it could be talking about holiness. It's really just talking about uh, the will of God, the character of God. And, and it could be talking about going and, and being evangelizing even and, and producing uh, more Christians. But let's just say that it includes... Becoming more and more Christ-like, like we're talking about. That's bearing fruit, all right? And we'll leave it at that for now. And I'm open to lots of discussion about this. But it's the fact is that a lot of times I will hear people... I, I, we just like to kill a lot of sacred cows here, okay? And wrong theology... Because it can really mess people up. And like I was talking about before, if you think that God put a sickness on you to teach you something, you know, then what are you going to the doctor for? What are you taking medicine for? You know, the old backslider. <laughs> uh, but truth is, he didn't do that, you know. Uh, now, he did provide doctors and medicine and all that because not all of us are, are going to receive everything by faith, but that's the best way. His best way is not a miracle. If you need a miracle, I hope you get you one because they're awesome at the time. But the problem is they they require a crisis, don't they? He wants us to live the blessed life, walk in the blessing, to not live crisis to crisis. So we need miracles. You see what I'm saying? So his best is just for us to live in the blessing. For it to chase us down, hunt us down, and overtake us is how the Bible described it in Psalm 23. But I wanted to tell you that all the bad things that happen, which they will happen, there are struggles and, and trials and and things, but Jesus said not to worry about them, didn't he? Because he's overcome the world. So look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. This is a... These are passages of scripture you should have, uh, you should know by heart, and and uh, because it's foundational to being able to communicate with another Christian. If they haven't come to terms with the truth of Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen, then they um, they may be a part of these this great group of uh, so-called Christians. Could be, I don't know. But they have uh, ruled out large portions of the Bible to meet their standard of living or what they believe. And folks, that's demonic. That's antichrist. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, your translation may say it a little differently. God inspired, God breathed. The fact is, it's saying that all Scripture comes from God, not from man, and is profitable 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, what I'm saying here is we need to let the Word of God prune us. That's God's way. God is not the one... You see how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He never put sickness on anybody. He only took it away. He never did any harm to any people. And even when His disciples wanted to pull an Old Testament, bring down the the lightning and, and burn people up, He said, no, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. So... And then Jesus said, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now we know the will of God, the Father and the Son, is not to do harm or to put sickness or strife or divorce or poverty on people. He uses the Word of God. And it says so right there in that passage of Scripture I just read. The Word of God is profitable for the correction, for reproof, for training, to raise us up to be grown-up Christians. You see that? So we aren't lacking anything. That's God's method. He needs no help from the devil. You understand that? (laughs) That makes sense when you look at it like that, doesn't it? All right. I just want to make sure I drive that home because there's a lot of folks out there that teach people just the opposite of what I'm saying. And it's very harmful. You know why? Because we are trying to teach people people who they are in Christ, to embrace the spiritual, to speak to the new man, not the old, not to not to point out all of the negative things, you know. The problem with the church is a guy will walk through the door right now, drunk as a skunk, and everybody in there will embrace that person and tell them, it's alright, brother God loves you, and they can fall down on the floor and cry and receive the Lord, and everybody pray for him and love on him. He come back a month from then, st- drunk again, and they'll say, Brother, you are in sin. You are a backslider. You are this and that. You see? <laughs> come on. Come on now. Is that the new standard? You get 30 days, and then you got to be perfect. <laughs> no, it's not. Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future, before we were ever born. We have to focus on the eternal, though, not the temporal. That's something we were talking about last week. And remember that it's a process, folks. I'm going to tell a story on myself. (laughs) When I was six years old, we <laughs> we moved. We lived in apartments, Mama and me, most of the time after all the other kids were gone. But this was a, a short period of time when most of the kids were still at home. I'm the youngest of five. But they all had a different daddy and they went and stayed with him a lot. But we moved this little house. And I remember that summer after the first grade. And it was wonderful because we'd moved to a real house and and everything was great. It had a little shed out back, you know, like where you put your mower or whatever. I remember it had windows in it. Pretty nice little deal. But I knew about these butterf- these caterpillars and butterflies. I'd heard about how that works, 
that the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And I wanted a butterfly, but all I had was a caterpillar. I put it in a shoebox in that little shed. And I poked some holes in it, like you do when you're trying to keep a bug or something alive. And I ran out and checked on it about every 15 minutes. <laughs> to see if I was hoping, I just knew a butterfly was going to fly out of that box. Well, I think on the second day, it hadn't happened yet, and I was getting frustrated. And I figured out what it needed. It needed me to squash it <laughs> so it would become a butterfly. <laughs> and I did, and it didn't. <laughs> Let me tell you folks, we cannot <laughs> we cannot do what God does, and we cannot rush it. <laughs> and you know that's that's why we're fighting all those Ishmaels over in the Middle East, because Sarah and Abraham got tired of waiting on Isaac and they figured out a way to help God achieve his plan. And it wasn't God's plan, just like it wasn't God's plan when Moses was 40 for him to go and take it upon himself to be the redeemer of the Hebrews. And especially in the way he did it, starting with murder. <laughs> God's ways are not our ways. And we need to do things God's way. It's like I said, when Moses finally got another chance at 80, God told him to pick up that snake by the tail. He ran at first, but then he went and did it. Because he had decided, I believe, that if he had another chance to serve God, he'd do it God's way if he killed him. We know it didn't kill him. It did exactly what God wanted him to do. But I am the vine, my Father is the vine driver. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that, he, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So you see, if you just by abiding in Jesus, by staying connected to the vine, you will bear fruit godly fruit you see that's what he says whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. You know that when you get answered prayer, it glorifies God. You know, Jesus also assumes some things when he talks like this. Ask whatever you wish. But he said, first, if you abide in me and I in you. In other words, you and Jesus is the word made flesh. So if you abide in the word, if you're living this. The same with the scripture that says God will give you the desires of your heart. But first off, you have to put him first. Then you and he are of the same accord, you see. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos 3.3, 3, he says. He's not saying, let me change and how are you walking? Let me walk like you. No, he's saying, come walk like me, walk with me, and, and you got it going on. <laughs> Amen. We have to see ourselves as useless as a branch broken off from a tree or from the vine when we try to do things on our own strength and our own power. If we do that, then we'll learn to stay in communion and abide in the Lord. I was going to bring, yesterday I was thinking about this, talking to the Lord. Man, we had a great time yesterday. It's wonderful when I I actually don't have any work, secular work on my schedule. Not that I could, I could have worked. I could, I could never stop working and it would never, but I've learned to just shut it down. But Saturdays, I always, for I don't know how many years now, I've, I just sat apart and sat for the Lord and spend time with Him. And, uh, but anyway, I was, we were talking about this, um, and I was thinking about, as I was growing up, you know how there's a water main, there's a water meter out by the street. I know you, you ladies know this too, and I'm not, so everybody's familiar, there's a water meter out there, they run by and check it. We used to find frogs in there. When I was a kid in Texas City, there was horny toads everywhere, but they don't have them anymore, they they might be somewhere around, but they were abundant back then. We'd always look for them. But growing up, I can't, a thousand times I can remember my, who became, after I was an adult, became my stepfather. Uh, but I can remember Bill telling me to go get the key, the water key. And what that is, it's, uh, it looks like a tall T made out of rebar, usually a whole, <laughs> Or you can buy them at store-bought, but a lot of guys made them out of rebar. But it was just had a handle up here like this, and it was a long, straight thing, about three feet, two, three, two, three feet tall. And it had a little, like a horseshoe on the bottom of it. And you open that water meter, and there's a thing down in there. It's just flat like this. And you put that over the head of it like that, and you just turn it a quarter turn. And that shuts the water off. That shuts the water off the, the, the main to the supply to the whole house. So you can go fix your leaks or do whatever. Or if you don't pay your bill, they come and do that for you. I used to keep, I've always kept the water key on hand because before I knew the Lord and they'd shut my water off, I'd just go back out there and share it back on when I needed it. <laughs> no, they put the lock. 
Yeah, yeah, if they catch you. But that was not a godly thing to do anyway. But it just requires a quarter turn. Because there's a because when it's when it's on, there's a hole in there. You see it's a it's like here's the pipe from here to that door, and there's a hole in that I don't know what the that valve is called, but there's a hole in it that lets that water come straight through. So when you want to turn it off, you turn it a quarter turn, and it's a, there's a blockade there. You see what I'm saying? Turns it off, and then turn it back a quarter turn, and it's in in line again with that water supply. And the Lord, I, I was just thinking about that. I said, it's just like that, Lord. You know, we get just a quarter turn off. And we're off. We've lost our supply. We we are out of out of line with you. And and then we're trying to do everything in our own strength, in our own way, in our own power, in our own abilities. But we're just like that branch that had been broken off of the vine, and we're out there trying to do what we can, and, and we're just as just an old dead dying branch, not good for anything. And then we repent. Finally, hopefully, go back and get lined up with the Lord. And there comes the rush of water. The Holy Spirit comes to help and guide us and help us and to teach us all the way through this life to provide for us. He's the paraclete, the one that comes alongside, takes a hold together with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, this is passage of scripture that was really hard for me for many years because it scared me a little bit frankly. And uh, anyway, I'll just read it to you. Uh, Jesus speaking. And again, right before this, uh, it's interesting enough, he's talking about a tree and its fruit. He said a, a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear, bear good fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. But then he goes on, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, talking about on the the day of the great white judgment throne. That day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? These are church folks. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not, I I knew you, but then you... Then you turned away from me. I never knew you. And knowing God and knowing the Father and the Son, that's the meaning of eternal life, right? So obviously, without knowing God and knowing the Son, we don't have eternal life. It's a very sobering passage of Scripture. Because Jesus said it and that settles it. 
but it's not it shouldn't be scary just like the book of Revelation shouldn't be scary to someone who knows God and loves the Lord and and is looking for his return you know it's interesting to me that we always pray about going to heaven and can't wait to get to heaven and the mansions and I even sing a song about the mansion and the streets made of gold and all that and really all that I can show you that it's really not exactly what it means but I don't want to burst anyone's bubble on Thanksgiving but it's better than that actually but uh, you know everything that Jesus talked about I mean you look at the Lord's Prayer everything that we pray when we pray what they call the Lord's Prayer it's not about getting to heaven it's about bringing heaven to earth this is a time in human history where Christians need to really be Christians they really need to align themselves with God agree with the word of God not be afraid to stand up for Jesus he says if you're ashamed of me and my words I'll be ashamed of you in front of the angels in heaven and my father but not everyone who signs a card says a prayer and gets baptized knows the Lord I'm sorry it's not a magic formula for fire insurance and too many people and too many churches have changed to you know you got to have a rock star preacher and a and the best band in the world you know and give away I mean I'm not opposed to anybody I've said that a hundred times I, you know I feel like Donald Trump having to proclaim I'm not a racist again a thousand times you know but some people it won't matter anyway the truth is they never let the truth stand in the way of what they believe (laughs) Jesus said the same thing about the scribes and Pharisees the religious folks of his day he said you've let your traditions and the doctrines of men the teachings of men make the word of God of no effect and we don't ever want to get to that place But I want to talk to you quickly, and then we're done, about the key to the key of abiding in the Lord. So if the key to our spiritual growth and metamorphosis and the change that's being, is staying connected to the vine, right? That's abiding in Jesus. So obviously that's key. But I want to tell you one of the main keys to that key is thanksgiving. And I thought it was very fitting, since this is the week of thanksgiving coming up, to tell you about that. And I just want to show you a little bit about it briefly. Romans 1, verse 21. Romans 1, verse 21. 
says that for although they knew God, this is a great chapter. You should read it because it just this is one of the chapters that the universal are are all the split churches that have uh, accepted things that are demonic as fine. This is one of the chapters they do away with. <laughs> but Jesus, or Paul was saying that everyone, when they stand before God, they will be without excuse. Because God has made Himself known to every single person living. Because I've heard, you've heard the story, well, what if someone's born <clears throat> over here in this place where they never heard of God? They didn't have the Bible. It's not fair. And they start trying to reason God. As if God, for starters, is unreasonable. He's not. Do you think that a good God would do that to someone? You know what you'll be judged on? If you never got to be in a wonderful church like ours, and you didn't have 20 of these Bibles sitting around your house, and and have at least three channels out of the 300 you get at home that talk about Christianity, he's going to bait. He's going to judge you on known truth. There's things that you could tell. There's a God just by the things He created. <coughs> Excuse me. But anyway, without getting too far off on that tangent, it says here, for although they knew God, so he's saying, let's just summarize and say that he's already disclaiming that everybody at some point has been approached by God and they knew it. He's going to make sure of it. (coughs) For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Excuse <coughs> me. Just a dry throat. That's all. <laughs> uh, so the key to abiding is being a thankful person. This says that once the people knew God, they weren't thankful. And so... The point is that once we know God and we learn to abide in God, we have to remain thankful. And this is one of the things that Christians quite often, just like the rest of the world, which we should not look like the rest of the world, forget to do. And why is it that it's important to be thankful? Because a thankful person, a thankful person acknowledges those who have done good things for them. It acknowledges others and what others have done to help them along the way. Because we all have help, don't we? (coughs) So by doing that, just by definition of that alone, it makes that person a humble person. A thankful person is a humble person. And in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. I'm talking about humility. Without humility, the opposite side of humility on that coin is what? Pride. And we know that God opposes pride. 
but he gives grace to the humble. One of the devil's strongest ploys or tactics is to make people feel like they are self-sufficient. Like they can make it on their own. I've known a lot of people like that. I've been like that. And it's a trick of the devil. A lot of a lot of people that are just good good guys or girls, they just you know, sometimes when you're good, when you're just basically a decent good person, sometimes that's the can be a very dangerous thing to someone who still hasn't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because that good person who get tired of being taken advantage of and used and abused and and he'll just say, Listen, here I'm done with all that. I don't just leave me alone. And that's a scary place to be because that person is in just about as shape as the guy on death row. And I know that because I've been to a lot of those funerals and I call them funerals because that's what they are. They get up there and say, oh, it was good, man. Oh, man. In a better place. In a better place. And I'm not mocking anyone or making fun, but it breaks my heart. I used to agree with that, yeah. Ain't no way somebody like that could go to hell. But listen, folks, that's not the basis. Our our performance doesn't win any favor with God. We either, because everyone has fallen short of the glory of God by sin, and so if you fail at just one point of the law, you're guilty of it all. And the penalty for sin is death, and so you get it. So we had better either be perfect... Because I've never seen, I've seen a lot of people say that was just a good man. That might be the best man I ever knew, but I've never heard anyone say they were perfect. Because we've all said, the Bible says so, so we know it to be so. And so, we either better either be perfect or have a Savior who is. Amen. So we need to be humble and not fall for the devil's trick and make it, making us think we're self-sufficient. And a a thankful person, the third thing I guess I'd say is that a thankful person knows that God is their source. Their humility and acknowledgement of all the good things that have happened to them by no cause of their own, whether it's their own talents and abilities and and everything else. See, without God, you wouldn't even have that. Well, I did that because I'm strong enough to pick it up. Well, you wouldn't be. If it weren't for God. You know what I'm saying. Well, you know, my good looks just brought me so far. I'm a Hollywood... Well, you wouldn't be good looking if God didn't make you that way. You know. So everything is God's... It it should be given credit for it. So we're not self-made. He gave His life. And... He also gave us, He gave His life for us, and He gave us our lives, our talents, our abilities, our opportunities, and we need to acknowledge Him for it, is what I'm saying. An unthankful person, on the other hand, 
becomes vain in their imagination, just like imagination, like it says here in Romans one twenty one. What that means is they they start believing in their own press, and and Jeremiah had the epiphany, Lord, I know it's not within man to direct his own steps, and he was right because we'll foul it up every time, and without God and without the Word of God, you see what happens. Just look in Washington; they start deciding these small squeaky wheels start deciding for all of us what's best and it's not based on the word of God these are from people that mock God no wonder Paul got so mad at the church when they were they were they sent him letters telling him that one person in the church was suing another person in court he blasted them he said what is wrong with y'all here you are holy ghost filled children of God and you don't even have enough wisdom between you to settle your own affairs you have to take it to someone who's ungodly and doesn't even know God so they became vain in their imagination so we need to continue as we are being built up into this great spiritual house which is the way that we're described in the Word, we're going to continue to be built. We're going to continue to build a life. We're going to continue to have a life, right? So just by by that alone means we will continue to build upon that, that life, that world. Like I tell you, there are some people that have built their entire life based on a lie and now just the thought of having to undo that it's like pulling that Jenga thing from the bottom that you know is going to be the last Yeti spaghetti. So, it's all the house of cards are going to come falling down. But people that have gotten that quarter turn where they shut off the water and they've become detached from the vine... They continue to build, but they've moved off of the foundation of the rock, as Jesus described it, which is Him. And they've moved over onto the sand. And the destruction of that house is going to be 100%. It's going to be the destiny of that person. So we have to stay connected to the vine. I want to read you a couple more scriptures. Do we have just a couple more minutes, y'all? Psalm 75. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. Here's what a thankful person knows. For not from the east or from the west or from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So God is the one that gives promotion. And God is the one that builds you into a great spiritual house and makes you into that butterfly. And you never have to get smashed like some churches teach to get to that point and learn your lesson it will become 
effortless by abiding in the Word of God, which is Jesus. Stay connected to the vine. Make it your daily practice. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 if you have your Bibles. If not, you can just look it up later and listen to me read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 8 through 11. says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know I love the number five, which is the number for grace, but he says all or every, some form of all, five times in that passage of Scripture. And it's all about just an abundance of grace. I like how Peter says that grace and peace be multiplied in through, into your life. Now, don't you want grace and peace to be multiplied in your life? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, your Savior. I just want to finish by saying something about the Thanksgiving holiday from a historical point of view again, just to bring things into remembrance about the American Thanksgiving holiday. And I think it's going to fall more and more on the church because schools are not wanting to teach history and are they wanting to rewrite history and things like that. So I think it's more important than ever for the church to teach God's people and to bring things into remembrance. But the American Thanksgiving holiday is rich in godly tradition. Just like I said in the opening today. But we all hopefully know the story of the first Thanksgiving to some degree. So I'll spare you all the wonderful tidbits I have on that. Maybe someday we will. But there was a time when the pilgrims thanked God and, and the Indians for helping them to make it through that first harsh winter, right? Well, lots of presidents after that time acknowledged uh, a special occasion on that date. But it wasn't until 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, that Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation making Thanksgiving a national holiday. Uh, the Secretary of State, I think, wrote that original proclamation, but President Lincoln wrote one that same year declaring uh, and calling for a national day of prayer in 1863. And I just, I just wanted to uh, read an excer- excerpt from that, that to you, if, uh, if you don't mind. He said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts 
that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. So, I would say that President Lincoln's statements in 1863 are more true today than they were then. Of course, I didn't live then, and I know we've gone through some terrible times and had some great awakenings and revivals, which I believe is coming to the church. But believe me, when I say this, the church has always thrived in times of greatest persecution. So, don't think that it's all going to be a bed of roses. It's sort of like the miracles that I talked about before. For there to be a need for a miracle, there has to be a crisis. And so, I think that things may get worse before they get better. But you've been born for such a time as this. You are a spirit-filled child of God. And you are in the army of God. You are ambassadors here of another kingdom. This is not your home. We're only here for a flicker. But while we're here, I always tell people if the, if the only thing Jesus says to me besides well done, good and faithful servant when I stand before him is, boy, they... They say, you sure talked about me too much. That'll be okay with him, and it'll be okay with me if they criticize me for it. But we have to stand up for the Lord. We have to remember that He is our source. We need to reflect on those things, I would say. Who is our source? Who or what are we thankful for? And make it our habit at the beginning of every day and at the end of every night before we go to bed to be thankful and to give Him thanks for everything that He has done, everything that He is doing, and everything that He will do in the future. I start and end every day before I put my feet on the ground. I thank Him for His love and faithfulness and I praise Him. I don't know what to do without Him. I don't want to be disconnected from the vine. Sometimes I get a little disconnected and when I realize it, it scares me. And I run back and I cling to the vine. And I hope you'll do the same. And that we'll never be deceived into thinking that we are self-sufficient or self-made or any of those tricks of the devil. And that we will use this holiday season to humble ourselves and remember the God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost who has blessed us in so many ways. I love you all. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless you.